Amen. Amen. Love that song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Flood the nations. So here we are, and I don't know, but the background of this song for me was, I remember first coming to the Lord, lived with a, well, at the time I wasn't, but I did later on. I ended up living with a couple who became my disciples ultimately. But they had a bus ministry. I think I've shared that before. And they would play this song on the bus as they were going out into the community. And what better song could you play when you're going out in the community and drawing kids? I mean, they didn't go to the sweet places of Walla Walla. I mean, most of the places they went to were the dark places where the kids were living in difficult circumstances. I could tell you some stories with that. But I remember this song just kind of re-highlights that to me. It's like we're going out and we're going to see Jesus shine. Amen. Let's uh, turn your Bibles, if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. <clears throat> so I haven't been preaching a series, you might call it that, but I've been preaching on a theme. And the theme is wrapped around the resurrection. And it's been, the last couple months have been within that framework of that theme. And so if you'll take a thought of the sermons that we have preached in the last few weeks, you'll be able to see that it's, it's coming together in that same focus. There's a resurrection focus that God has for us. And one of the things that you'll see that's been the moving of the Lord is there's this call to us. There's a call to our church right now. Listen to the Lord. Let His call be the functioning reality of your life. Don't spend our time doing things outside of the call of God. Listen to what he's saying. And then the other part of it, don't disobey him. Don't go on like Saul was and make sacrifices that don't go with what God wants. When we begin to realize the constructive peace of God in our life and what God is putting together and what God wants to do in our lives, there is no finality this side of eternity. What you're looking at is this constant state of progression. If we're living the Christian life, we're always progressing. But what most of us have struggled with is there's moments of degression, but there's also progression, I hope. If you're not progressing as a Christian, you have a lot of things to call into question right now. And I would say take some time before the Lord. But ultimately what we're looking at is this is kind of that final progression moment, and that's that grow. And, you know, I said this statement to a guy a number of years ago, and it has been like a lifelong, something I'm going to remember the rest of my life. How many of you have made statements to somebody, and it was after you made the statement or while you were saying it, you're like, I'm getting this too. Like, I, I didn't plan for this. This is happening in the moment. And I love how the Lord said the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And in that moment, you won't even have to premeditate. You'll be saying exactly what heaven wants you to be saying. Well, this was one of those moments for me, and I made, that st I made this statement. I said, there are no speed limits to growing in grace. You can grow as fast as you want to. That's the, that's the struggle we have today is because we put limits on the grace of God at work in our life and the progression of the grace of God. We can always be the ones that, you know, trying to get the grace of God to pick up the leftover pieces of our mess-ups, or we can be the people of God that are constantly moving forward and becoming stronger in the Lord as we do. Well, here we're going to read the story. We're going to have a story of David. And David was, he was like, there was a majesty about his life. There was something amazing about David. 
in the quality of him from his very youth. And, and you remember this, that David wasn't even picked among his brothers to be even among those of whom God was going to anoint. And Samuel calls Jesse and says, bring all of your sons. He said, bring all of your sons. He brought everyone except for David. That just shows you that in the eyes of man, David was not qualified. He wasn't even considered. They're like, David's too young. He's definitely not going to be one of these that God's going to call. But David was exactly whom God had called. And I, I want just to remember that is, is that our eyes scale over the top of the ones that God chooses. The Lord doesn't choose the mighty. He chooses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. That's us. <clears throat> okay? So you see this man, and here he is. He's the one that defeated Goliath. And this is like, we want to always keep bringing David back to the, the defeat of Goliath. But here's a defeat of David. <clears throat> This mighty man is now defeated by a sin in his own life. And so, when I use the word grow, I can think of one of two things. A failure and then a getting back to the place where God wants you. You can also have a place of growth in your life where it's a constant getting better and better at what you do. And I'm going to share a story with you here a little bit later on about that. But I just want to look at 2 Samuel verses 12, 1-23. I'm going to do this as a verse-by-verse sermon this, uh, this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him. And this is the story after Bathsheba, if those of you who remember here. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. <clears throat> the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him, with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man. He refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wafering man whom had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Let me pray. Father, thank you right now, Lord, that your word is going to speak to us. Lord, and on the level that we are ready to hear it. Lord, your word is going to be animated in all of us differently based on how much we are ready to receive it and how much we're ready to let it have its place within our life. Lord, we're growing from glory to glory at different rates. But I know, Lord, this is an opportunity for us to grow quickly. I pray, Lord, from this that you will help us hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us individually and help us hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to our church. Lord, there's something you want for us to know and understand as, Lord, we consider this breakdown of an divinely inspired writing an illustration of David's weakest, most vulnerable moment, and the Lord, the worst story about himself, and Lord, it's pinned for us, so we can learn, Lord, from his example. Lord, not follow his footsteps, but learn from his example. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you'll settle the truths of your word into our life, that Lord, that it will change us, Lord, let this Sunday be that moment, Lord, where heaven comes down and meets us with Your glory. God, we want You to minister to us and send us out 
into the community as those, Lord, who are the light of Jesus. Lord, help us be that in our homes. Lord, everywhere we go and whatever we do. And Lord, let this message move us on to that next step, Lord, of walking closer with You in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I'm so thrilled. That's great. I appreciate that. So we have this... um, these, these verses, and what I try and do is I try and capture what is this, this central truth contextually out of these verses that I see. This is what I see in it. And there's at a point at which we cease to grow when we lose sight of the truths that are developed in our conscience and contradict them in our behavior. The moral light of our conscience cannot be violated and at the same time move us toward God. Thanks, Julia. You can't violate your conscience. Let me put this here and hopefully don't spill it. I'll put it on a, on a firm foundation there. <clears throat> we cannot violate the moral light of our conscience and, and at the same time move toward God. And here you have a situation in David's life where it is evident that he knows. And as we read a little bit more, it's even more evident how much he knows what God expects and what is right and what is wrong. But it's also very apparent how far from it that he had strayed. Now what I want to say is when I'm sharing this message, I'm not saying that the people that I'm talking to are the ones who strayed mightily from the Lord. But on any degree that you have strayed from the knowledge that you have, of truth is the degree that you are not growing. It's that simple. So, well, <clears throat> the degree that you have strayed from the knowledge of truth is the degree that you have you are failing to grow in. That's where you're failing to grow. So, what you know you ought to do and you don't do it, or what you know you ought not to be doing and you're doing it, on that level you will cease to grow. There is no spiritual law at work. There's nothing that God does that eliminates that in our life. So when we begin to take a new level with God and we're called back to a place of of fresh obedience, you will see fresh growth. Like you can be in a church... You can be around Christian environment all your life and have very little growth because of so much knowledge given and so little applied. Jesus made a firm statement when He said, Be not hearers of the Word only, but doers of the Word. And He said, You'll be likened to those who built their house upon the sand. And when the storms come... You'll be destroyed. Everything that was been built upon that that sand will be destroyed. So Jesus is making a very firm statement in this, and we see in um, David's life why this is so important. Now David has a reputation, and remember that you do too. All of us have a reputation among the people that we're involved with in your home, the people you work with, and all of that. And you either violate the principles of God by what you do, or you Um, continue to testify in favor of. But one way or another, people look at your life and they're going to see 
either Jesus being honored or Jesus dishonored. And so in this, David had a mandate from God based on the fact that he was king and the fact that this was the ministry God had given him, the calling on his life, and now he's marred it terribly by this decision. Now I want to say something. The grace of God is at work to restore us. But that doesn't mean the testimony that you leave on earth will not be a destructive path all the rest of your life. And that's the reason why we want to live as close to God as we can. Because the testimony may be lost while you are still able to receive grace and forgiveness. And you'll see this also in the story as well. So one of the things I wanted to bring out was, I was just thinking about different ways in my life I could see this. And when um, I was working doing irrigation, we had the manifold. And a manifold is basically a set of valves that is used um, so that when the water comes into it, it delegates where the water goes. We call it the zones for the sprinkler system. So each valve controls a particular zone in your lawn because there's not enough water available on demand to be able to water your whole lawn at the same time. So we make sure that we, if we do it right, it's set apart in zones. And so this manifold is central piece to the whole thing. It's a very, very important part of the system. If I didn't build it big enough, I didn't put enough valves in it, or I put too many valves in it, it's all going to affect it one way or the other. Well, when we, were, when we built these, when I initially started working, the way the manifolds were built, they had a stacked and a staggered tier so that the valves would be staggered from one another, um, and it would also be stacked one above another if it was a large enough one. Well, the problem in time was is that we, I noticed things over time that begin to help me realize why this was not built the best. And so one of the things is I remembered looking in the valve box and one day after having time and knowledge and experience in, in landscaping to begin to start picking up on things, right? So now I'm getting insight that I wouldn't have had early on, but I am now. And when I did, what I saw was this, this manifold was built smaller than the valve box. There's plenty of space in there. So it was tight. That was one issue we had. It was a tight build. Then the fact that it was tiered one on top of the other made it so that the valves underneath were almost impossible in many of them to get to. And most of the valves that we had then were a screw top valve so you could just unscrew the top, take the top off, and, and then you could maintenance the valve. But these manifolds, the bottom valves for the most part, were you couldn't maintenance them because they were so tightly packed in that you couldn't get your hand in to screw the top off. So we began, I began after so many years of them being built that way and building a few that way of recognizing this just isn't the best way to do this. So in time, I started to improve it. And one is I started making measurements to see if I could just fit it in the box more. And when I did, I made it way more maintenanceable. But then one day I was on a job site in Legrand. And when I was there, I actually saw um, one of the other guys, I think, I think it was from Eastern Oregon Landscaping, but he was from Legrand, um, and I, I believe he built this one. I don't know for sure, but anyway, when I had opened the top of the box and looked in, what I saw was it wasn't stacked. It was all the same level. They were still staggered, so it made it more room to be able to put them in there. And so when I saw that, it just like the light went off. I was like, Wow. That's how we want to build them from now on. I see the reason for that. 
And so we started building them that way, and it improved as we went forward. So for me, I was growing in my knowledge and ability. But I had to have correction. And not necessarily somebody correcting me, but I had to have some element of correction to help me realize what needed to be different than what it was. Now, I could have looked at it for years and said, well, that's what they did. And I never, if I had never saw another example, I wouldn't have picked up on it, not as quickly at least. But the regret is how many years have I spent building it or doing it in a way that I wish that I had never done it to begin with. And that's life. You're going to spend a portion of your life looking back on with a sense of regret over certain parts of life that I wished I hadn't done it that way. I bet this was exactly what David was going through. I wished that I could pick it up over again, start all over again, and never have gotten to this place. But this is where he was. And there was a need for correction. If you want to grow, if I'm going to grow, going to have to have correction. There's no way around it. Seeing some people look down, that means you're writing notes. Good. You're going to have to have correction. Correction is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. And correction usually comes starting with conviction. A sense that something's not right. I need to do this differently. And so there's times when we've gotten stuck in a rut and we need it done differently. And what I'm grateful for is that correction improved it. Like I would, It was like a 100% feeling of improvement. Because there was times where some of those that we had built originally, we actually had to go back to the property and one of the valves we couldn't fix, we actually had to dig up the whole box, cut out the manifold and make two separate manifolds in order to correct the issue of one valve that wasn't, um, wasn't functioning right. Well, that, those are things that, as you see, you improve, hopefully. But I remember the dread of thinking, how many other ones am I going to be going to? And what I realized is the past has a way of catching up to you, right? So we want to make it as faithful in the present so that it's prepared for the future. So let's look at the next few verses in verses 5 through 6. And so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. <laughs> so he's just telling a story. We don't think, I don't believe that this story is an actual true story. It may have been. It doesn't tell us for sure, but I'm almost sure that it's not. But David is aroused by this story. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore full, fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So David's looking at this story that's so far from being as severe as his own, and he's making some, some very severe judgments and totally lost his own life in this, like he's not even seeing himself. So here's a few thoughts on it. The contradiction is the highlight of hypocrisy and is revealed in our behavior to judge others more harshly than we do ourselves. So what I would just like to encourage you to do today is, is look at your life. Think about relationships and other people you know. Think about if roles were reversed, if your role was reversed with their, theirs, and if the same judgment they, that you give to them would be the same judgment they give to you, what would you want to see differently about that picture? What would you do differently? And oftentimes, even the fact that I think in the carefulness of how would I want them to talk about me? How would I want them to be thinking about me in this scenario? And what if I'm missing some information here? 
So what if the way that I feel about this other person or other people, you know, whatever I'm saying here, and what if I'm missing information? What if I don't know everything to it and I'm making judgments with partial information? Now, I feel like this oftentimes when I'm working on my own car. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What did I not know? And I'm grateful for code readers that at least give me a direction on it. But some of the old vehicles, it's like, man, you've got to be a high-tuned professional to know what in the world you're dealing with. Is it spark? Is it fuel? What is the problem here? So the contradiction is in, in this place is what do I not know? And what would I, how would I base my, my judgment based on this? Well, this is what we would do differently. This is what I would do differently. In, in the point of if I'm having a situation or a conflict, say like at home, my important, what I need to do at home is, or anywhere else, I need to go make sure that I get the right knowledge. I need to make sure I understand this appropriately. And that takes time. Because oftentimes the emotions involved in the moment kind of evade the, the, the information that you need to know. So don't make a judgment based on information you don't really know. And so David, I, I wish, I, I mean, I, I think I would, if, if I were in his shoes, I'd be like, so... Um, tell me a little bit more. Like Before I know it, at least I didn't have to be the guy that at least put myself on the hot seat, but, but I would have at least found enough information to, oh, okay, that looks a lot like me. I'm not going to say a whole lot. I'm going to be very careful about what I say. But that wasn't David in the situation, and God knew this. And God knew David's temperament and his ways and his mind and his thought. And God knows us just that same way. God knows us so well that he knows exactly what situations to set up for you, circumstances to put you in a place to bring you back to where He wants you. Always remember the ultimate goal of God. God's great pleasure is restoration. God wants to reconcile. God wants to redeem. So no matter how it hurts, no matter what part of, it, of you it exposes, no matter how difficult it is, God's end in it, the whole thing, when it's finished, is to make you right. But you know how sometimes it is in order to get it right, you've got to mess it up first? Well, I think that's what's happening here is God's messing it up first. And so David's anger was aroused. We have this contradiction. So here's a thought on contradiction. Contradiction cannot exist in those who argue or defend a belief with a genuine motive. If I have a genuine motive, I don't, I don't contradict what I'm arguing about. So contradiction in that sense would spell out that I'm either a lunatic, I actually somehow believe that I'm trying to defend both sides of an argument, <clears throat> or I'm on purpose trying to deceive, trying to keep something from being known. And so I can't argue two points to something. I'm really at heart trying to focus on one. So if you find somebody contradicting, it's probably because something's missing. You know, I'm contradicting because something's missing. So contradiction is what I see here. It's David is in absolute contradiction to his own knowledge because now he says he gets the story of another man. He fits that story. He contradicts that knowledge by the way he behaved about himself, what, how he treated the situation on his own. And so then it says, and then Nathan, and now looks, looks, let's look in verses 7 through 9 and then out in the middle of, of verse 9. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Wow. You're the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you. I want you to catch a few things here. I'm going to come back to that. 
king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Now listen to this. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in His sight? You know, I want to kind of highlight that to us. Is there some things that if you had asked God for, He would have given you? Is there more that God has that you're missing? I think that's going to go right across the board, right over every single one of us, and I hope it doesn't miss us. Is that God said, if you would have asked, my heart is to give more. My heart is to pour out more. Understand that. Like God's like self-keeping. So notice a few of the things God says to David. And this is when you see the spiritual sickness at its worst. You want to evaluate how sick somebody is or how healthy they are spiritually? This is one of the best ways to look at it. Look at what he says. He says, the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you. So now he's going he's to talk about what God has done for David, either in his present or his past. Now have him reflect on that. <clears throat> I anointed you. And then he says, I delivered you. And I gave to you. And I gave to you. And if, you, if that would have been too little, I would have given you more. Now, what I see here is this. Spiritual sickness is also revealed in the desensitivity of our soul's appreciation and awareness of the faithfulness, past faithfulness and present faithfulness, and abounding provision of God. And the reason I say the desensitivity is because usually there's some element of acknowledgement of what God has done. But the problem is it's not fresh and real in the moment. It's not like it's just as if he had just done it. And so what I want to say is is that a spiritually healthy person can reflect on the past faithfulness of God and on the present faithfulness of God with clearness and with passion and with joy and love for that in their life. And so they're drawn to be more faithful because they remember God as if it were presently in their life. So remember when they're talking in Revelation and he said that you have forgotten or you've left your first love. Go and return back to your first love. Go back and remember what it was like when you first came to Jesus. How fresh your love was to read this Bible. And can you even do a comparison of your life? And look at it. When I first came to Jesus, my I wore out my Bible within a few years. I'm like, pages are falling out. The cover is starting to erode away. Like this thing has become very central to my way of living. And then now my, my mind and how I'm talking, everywhere I go, I'm talking about something that comes back out of Scripture. And my life seems to be remolded. And, and I think about the new situation and what does the Bible say with that? And my fresh love to go to guys and kids at school. I remember back then it was handout tracks everywhere I went, wear T-shirts that were the whole thing was covered by something that Jesus said and they could, re- they could read it very quickly. There was this zeal and this love for the Lord. So think about your life. How did I love the Lord when I first came to Jesus, when it was all fresh? And and basically, this is the thing. It's still fresh to those who are spiritually healthy. Because as they have another moment, time with God, the presence of God refreshes the past faithfulness of God in your life. So you can remember the things that God has done, and you can shout with glory and shout with joy as if you just got saved. 
as if it's brand new to you and fresh and real. And so we see this David has lost his sense of the freshness and the reality of it. And there's this desensitivity because I don't think it's all completely gone. I think it's remembered, but it's remembered so lightly that it doesn't affect your heart's commitment and faithfulness to God. And so the spiritual sickness is also revealed in this desensitivity. And as compromises move from subtle to severe, listen, as compromises move from subtle to severe, our ability to cherish God equally dies off. That's the message for us. And that's what you see. David is like this complexity of how did he, how could he get into this? Well, he let something die off. If he had stayed fresh with the Lord, I don't think this would even exist. Fresh with Jesus. Let's look in verses 9. Uh, actually, the rest of verse 9 and then through 10. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Amnon. There must be something in that. I'll have to look in that later. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. There's a few more, but I want you to finish there in verse 13 here. And it says, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So here... All of it's come out in the open. It's well known now. And and David sees it. And what I see here is an admission, but there's more than an admission here because so many of us, the complexity behind the moral struggles that we have, even with the word admission. So there's times I've been put in a situation where I'm saying, I'm admitting to the problem, but I'm doing it kind of like, yeah, fine, whatever. But that's not the admission we're seeing here. So admission isn't me finally coming to the place of like, okay, fine, you trapped me, whatever. There's, there's a, a commitment and a, um, what do you say, a, a connection spiritually and at heart with what I'm admitting to. And so um, it was Paris Reedhead that said in one of his sermons that conviction is you siding against yourself with God. God says something bad about you. God says something's not right, and you side with him on that issue. You're right, God. I am wrong. What I have done is wrong. And that's what David did, is he sided against himself with God. And that's the important part of admission. Because until you can come to the place of not just saying what's true, but at heart, being completely involved in it, you're still not there in the moment. That's the part that we need to capture. Because when this kind of admission gets in us, this is the starting point for new growth. That's so awesome. That's the starting point for new growth. The starting line for new growth begins with admission. Admission ends the sin of self-justification. Some of you might want to write this down. And if you want, I'll give it to you later. I did ask, Somebody asked me a while back. They said, can you give me that thing in your notes? And I, I send them to him this text. So I promise if you ask, I'll find a way. Admission ends the sin of self-justification. It provides a point at which mercy can do its work. It makes a way so that the gospel can be received without it becoming the incentive for evil and at the same time renews the soul. Admission requires such a vast amount of humility that it becomes vastly apparent 
that the heart has truly been changed. And this is the definition of growth. Heart change. See, our life needs to change, but really where our life needs to change the most is where our heart has first changed. We're not cleaning the outside of the cup first, we're cleaning the inside of the cup. So as we talk about growth, what we're doing is ultimately coming to a point of admission. It may not even be an admission over a sin. It may be an admission, I know I need to go further with this. I know I need to spend more time with God. I know I need to share my faith with others. I know I need to be more pleasant in the environment of my home. I need to be more faithful at the work that I'm doing. You can begin to look at so many areas of your life and say, how come we keep settling for another week of little accomplishments in areas that we need to be better at? We need to grow in and flourish in. And it's this admission, I see not only what's wrong, but I'm not self-defeated by what's wrong. I'm not broken down by the fact that I can finally be told by somebody else, and that we need to, because Nathan was doing that for David, or I can admit for on my own and see my points of weakness and admit that there's places in my life I haven't been willing to grow. Yeah, I know about it, but I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, it's another time thing. It's another putting it off for another moment. My dad had this famous saying. He would say, why do today what you can do till tomorrow? You can wait till tomorrow to do. And sometimes it looked like that in his life. And there's times in our life where we say, I don't know how to do it all. Maybe you don't need to, but you need to figure out what it is you need to let go of. And in all of those things, there's that admission. And that's the point of growth, especially when it comes to sin. When it comes to wrongdoing, when it comes to the way that we treat others, we have to be able to admit and go to them. You know, sometimes we want to confess to God and we need to go to them. And some situations we need to stop apologizing over and over again for the lack of reformation in our life. And we need to make it right and keep it right. We need to make it right and keep it right. And so there's those situations in our life and what we need to say to somebody is, I'm sorry for all my sorries. Like, I, sorry has become my new form of justification for continued unfaithfulness in my relationship with you. I am so sorry for my unfaithfulness there. And now your heart is approaching it on a new level. And it's not self-condemned by my failure. It's now regenerated and, and moved to move forward in God. And now I can do what God has told me to do and I'm certain of it. And I'm motivated toward it. And so conviction can lead to our demise if it does not bring us to surrender. It will lead to our demise. You will feel conviction. Either conviction will go or you will endlessly struggle with it until you surrender and yield. And this is for the, the Christian. Because there's times in our Christian life where we stunt our growth. We don't go any further with God. And so we need to admit, what is it that's stunning my growth? Am I at full growth right now? Am I at full maturity where God wants me? Anybody here want to say that they're at full growth? I'm all right if you do. I'm just wondering, is there anybody who feels like they're completely matured? You know, if anybody was, John would be. I know that. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, But now we, John, thank you for helping us realize that we need a little bit further growth for ourselves. And that's the reality is that no matter how old we get, we're like, even as I'm stepping toward heaven, there's this need for growth. But the question is, is how fast are you growing? You know, like, what have you stunted in your life or moving forward, not moving forward in? You're like, I'm growing, but I could be growing at a different rate. And some of that growth is not, now hear me well on this, 
is not by more reading and more praying. Some of that growth will be as a result of your present commitment to be faithful in an area that you were not faithful in in all of your reading and praying before. So very devout, very, very devout, and I'm grateful for those of you who are because you are one step closer. But the reality is, and I want to encourage you, being devout in prayer and reading your Bible doesn't trade place with a place of obedience with God. So now we need to be more devout in the attitude of obedience, whatever that is. Let's look here. Uh, Nathan says in verse 13, finish that again. Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. That is so amazing to me. I love that because it's so quick. David admits, I mean, he heartfelt admits. The prophet recognizes that that's what's happening. He's discerning and knowing it. And he says, your sin is put away. Nevertheless, you're going to go through some difficulties in your life but your sin is over with. It's that quick. Yes, that quick. That's awesome. That means for all of us in this place, we're like, Lord, I see it. I got a place. The moment you just acknowledge that before the Lord, there is a place at the throne room of Jesus that it doesn't need another Christ to die on the cross. It doesn't need another resurrection. It doesn't need another second, another moment. It's canceled right then and there, in that moment. And it's not canceled prior to your admission. But the moment you come before God and say, here I am, Lord, have mercy on me. That moment, that moment you're cleansed. That moment you're free. That moment you're forgiven. Like you don't have to become a better person. You don't have to be the best of all the best. You'll make that effort in the days to come. But right now, you're right with God. And outside of that, with that as an exception, nothing you do to improve your life will actually be an improvement. That's an absolute failure. Like the best I do, the, you know, I'm trying to make myself a good person. I just didn't get it right with God. Yep, that's the problem. That sin will find you in because it's a, it's a point of self-justification. That's powerful. That the Lord will do it right then and there. He says, however, because, and these are verses 14 through 16, however, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. And David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So when this happened, it was seven days after that the baby died. But David picked up from there, and that's what I find interesting, prophecy... And David decides, even though it's prophesied that this baby shall not live, I am still going to act out on prayer. I'm still going to call out on the Lord. I think David sees something about the character of God. You understand? The prophecy is a means of saying, unless there's something to change this, this will be that way. And oftentimes you see that what God says as He's prophesying through Jeremiah or others of the prophets, He says, this destruction will happen if you don't. But if you do, and you're faithful and repent, then things will come right. And then, so it won't be fulfilled. And so we remember this, and David was like, maybe he's hinging on, God could change this for me. God could. But the prophecy is still the prophecy, ultimately, as this story finishes. But David knows that there's mercy with God. 
David knows just from this immediate exchange that if God would forgive me of my sin, there may be a possibility that this child shall live. And so he steps into this. And new growth always leads back to faithfulness, irrespective of the outcome. You know what the outcome will probably be, but you're still going to be faithful anyway. Do you notice this, that sometimes when we feel like things went bad or went sour, we lose heart to be faithful. We lose heart to be faithful. So we see this, and this admission is the starting point for new growth. Faithfulness is the path for continued growth and maturity. So just be faithful. Just stay the track. Stay the course. Stay moving forward. Like I find is this is that there's always this, I want to advance forward. What's the thing that I'm missing in the moment? So let's look at 17 through 20. It says, So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food for, with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some greater harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. This is not the time you would expect somebody to be worshipping God. This is what they're saying is there's there's this weird the strangeness. The servants look back on it in the last next few verses and they say, David, we don't understand. Because initially you were grieved when the child was alive, like as if he were dead. Now that the child is dead, you go in as if you celebrate. That's not the way we do things. We we grieve over the loss of a life. We don't celebrate over a loss of life. And so they didn't see and understand what David was doing. And I think that this really, David had accepted the prophecy is probably going to happen. And so I'm not going to be crushed by the, la, the, the fact that I can't change prophecy, that I can't change the events as they will be and what God decides here. But what I will do is this, is I will fully commit myself to him and be faithful to him, irrespective of that. And I'll be faithful to worship him. And so a healthy soul will always magnify the Lord. The healthy soul will always magnify the Lord. Pain intensifies the heart's loyalties. You're like, what are you talking about? Pain intensifies the heart's loyalties. Because when you're in pain, you're going to go somewhere. You do something with that pain. It, you, that struggle of what you do with it. You know, All of us deal with that differently. But that's where your loyalty is. Your loyalty is to go exactly where you go when you're struggling. And look at what David does in the midst of this. He worships, and worship reveals the object that we're devoted to. So the pain intensifies where the loyalty is. The worship shows that the loyalty is to the Lord. And I want to just encourage you guys, because we're at different stages in life, but I want to encourage you, whatever the pain is, and whenever it comes, find a place to worship and magnify Him. I said this last week, and it has been on my mind all week long. And I've had a lot of things on my mind throughout the week. But I made this statement is after God had restored to us 
our property and made things work out, I had made the statement that in my surrendering it to the Lord and just casting my care upon Him, I came to that place, Lord, you don't have to change anything. We could lose everything, and that doesn't affect the greater reality. What's the greater reality? That the one who sits upon the throne, who rules over the universe and the world itself, at my losses, has not destroyed his reputation. It hasn't ruined anything that God is capable of doing. He's fully well able to run the universe even without my existence. He can do it on his, in his power. So nothing that happens in my life ultimately affects that greater reality. All that really it can do is, and, and I'll say this, the greater reality is what he does in my life still just magnifies whatever it is. It will magnify his praise no matter what. And so here David is seeing this. My heart's devotion is to the Lord. Though he destroy me, yet I will be, remain faithful. And I want to continue to encourage that in this congregation. I want to encourage that over the people of God. Don't lose heart when things get difficult. Don't let the pain become the new source for darkness in your life. Let the Lord in. Let Him in right now. Let Him have this point, this service, this moment of your life. Well, I've got this going on and I've got that going on. And praise Him anyhow. Lift Him up. Let Him be the God of the pain. Let Him be the God of the suffering and let Him be the God of your life. just want to encourage you. Walk with Him through this struggle. Jesus has a greater goal and this is just a piece of moving you in that direction. And it's so awesome to see that. You see Job's life of suffering and this long path, longevity of suffering in his life. And then he finally comes to this breaking point, this testimony time in his life with God. And, and all of that adds to the sweetness. I love what one brother said. He said, the greater the battle, the sweeter the victory. The greater the battle, the sweeter the victory. If you've remained faithful in it, you've got a sweet victory looking forward ahead right now. Just remember that. God will never blemish His name, His reputation, His integrity by not being faithful to you. When you have made the challenge to devil, to the darkness, to the flesh, to every doubt that you have in your mind, and you said, I challenge this, and I'm going to remain faithful despite it. And we have the last part of this in the last few verses. He says, the last part of 20 through 23, Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, he set food before him. And he ate. And then his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me? Just remember to put that phrase in your life. Who can tell? You know, maybe you're, you're all struggling. You're like, I'm just so depressed over this situation. Who can tell that the Lord may be gracious to you and lift you up out of it right now? Who can tell that whatever you're struggling with physically, you need a healing or something, and you say, I prayed for this for such a long time. Who can tell whether this is your moment right now? Who says that this might not be it? Don't miss the moment because the feelings are making you struggle with the idea that that could even be a reality. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? What do I do at this point? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. The secret of seeking, listen to me, is not based on the outcome. It's based on an assurance outside of the outcome. That's why David was so faithful. Because this is the thing. I can say, I want more, I want this. I... The reality is, is that faithfulness of God is what I'm hinging on. I'm hinging on him. And that's the bigger question oftentimes. Am I missing, Lord, what you're trying to do in this situation? I get easily discouraged because my mind goes in one direction. 
We're all faced with that. And we feel that sense of discouragement and we lift up. And our assurance is based on the fact that God can never be unfaithful. He's never that kind of a God. And we're like, well, but what about this? And I can say that somebody, if it's not you guys, and somebody else can present something to me, and I would say that's a massive tragedy, and I don't, have an, I don't have a whitewashed comfort to help you through that. But what I do know is this, is there's something about having a relationship with God. There's something in that relationship that's so powerful, and it's so permanent, and it's such a present reality and a future reality for the time being, that you know that none of that tragedy for yourself, if it were you in it, would ultimately, it might defer me emotionally for a time, but ultimately I'm coming back on track because I know who my God is. I know who's been faithful to me from beginning to end. I know who shattered darkness along the path all the way up to the present. And I can recall back to the faithfulness of God. I remember just going back to that. Just call to mind the present deliverances and the past deliverances of the Lord. Remember what He's done for you along this path. And the more faithfulness. And just imagine this. This is another moment. This is another moment that whatever's happening in your life, God wants to add this moment to His, His faithfulness. His testimony of faithfulness. He's not, He just could give it, put another one in how beautiful He really is. He wants to continue to remagnify Himself in your sight. And that's a part of growth, is coming to the place of remagnification of the God I love. And then I want to say this to encourage you, if you're in a time where you're like, I have joy, I love the Lord right now. Man, I'm walking on cloud nine and I love what God is doing in my life. And if that's you, if that's you, still praise Him. Praise Him in the midst of this. Let Him take it to the next level higher for you. Let Him walk you through your joy and elevate your point of joy. And if He keeps you where you're at in the moment, if He lets that be stable as is, whether it's joy or it's just the circumstances are at rest, and I'm not troubled in my soul, just stay faithful. Lay hold of Him and let Him be your God. This is a moment, I'd have to say for this church, this is a defining moment for what happens in this ministry, what happens in this community. It's what you do with Jesus. This is a defining moment in your own personal life. This isn't just about a personal thing, but I want you to think about something. What God does in your life right now, what He does in you right now is about what's going to happen in this community tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And you don't know that hurting soul that doesn't have your assurances, doesn't have your God in place. And whatever your tragedies are, they're probably far more minute because you're forgiven, because you're washed, because the blood of Jesus has annihilated every sin that has ever been committed by you. And you have that at least. You know you have that no matter what. And so no matter whatever your pressure is outside of that, no matter what you're going, what's going on outside of that situation, you know when you go to somebody else that their best day without the forgiveness of sin and out without being washed in the blood of Jesus is a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy. It's a tragedy that people should live most of their life without the forgiveness of sin. It's a greater tragedy that you should know the cleansing blood of Jesus and still live in sin. And you shouldn't know the power of growth in your own life to be able to be a proponent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If we are glad that we're going to heaven, if the highlight of life is not what I get here, but the hope that I'm going to be with Him there, and the joy of that is just bounding in your heart and filling you with everything and the anticipation for going to be with the Lord, and I'm sure that most of us that are struggling health-wise are looking more forward to it than anybody else. And that abounds in your heart, then think on this. 
Think on this. What if you had the role switched in your life with somebody else who's not? Man, and they just, well, I'm happy with what I've got going on in my own life. Then share it with somebody else. Make it a part of your life and share it with somebody else. And this is the other thing, is you're creating strength and bond for another brother or sister who's going through something. Because most of what it is, most of my release never comes from something that happened to me outside or purpose, outside my situation. It came as a new encouragement in my spirit. And I was lifted up in heart when physically or naturally things hadn't changed. And we want to know that our growth point with God is really Christ-based. It's based on Jesus Christ. You're going to get tired of listening to me say it. But the reason I'm going to say it over and over again, and listen to me very carefully, and I'm going to try and say this with mercy, because I realize that a lot of times when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, I'm watching my brothers and sisters do just the opposite of letting Jesus be the foundation of it. It's about feeling. It's not about Jesus anymore. I understand that battle. I know what it's like to go through it. But at the same time, I'm like, you've got to be more than a conqueror. And you've got to let the Lord in on your life. And, you, and so when I share that, it's because I'm not going to tell you this. What I am going to say is this. I live in a ministry side of things where I get to see, I get to see, see things raw. You understand what I'm saying? I get to see things raw. And one of the raw things I get to see is I get to see people who've been preached to uh, week after week that still don't read their Bibles. Do you understand me? Like, there's a point in with, with me, I'm like, what more do I need to say? Why do I even get up here to preach if the very foundation and the fundamental things in our life still go off to the sidelines? And then, then you say, well, preacher, that's, that's, that's a big deal, but we, we read our Bibles. Great. But then I see these struggles that happen, and I'm like, but it's very apparent what the Bible says that you're supposed to do. And I'm not even seeing that, not even slightly. Now, am I picking the bone with people here? Not necessarily, but with some of you. I will say that. Some of you I am. Because you need to hear it. You need to hear that there's a situation or a time in your life where God is calling you to not only read it, but respond to it. And so I'm grateful for every testimony I heard because I'm hearing word being spoken. But I'm also asking, are you letting it in and letting the Lord in? Are you letting the Lord in? Because here I'm, I, I got a lot of people. This is the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it gospel. But listen to me carefully, please. Everybody's going to claim what the Bible says. But when it comes to actually letting your life become the product of it, you quit. And I don't give a care what you claim. If you're not going to let it in your life, it's not worth a dime. Christianity is dying in America because American people in our culture learn how to get the good things of life without giving themselves. We learn how to get the money without doing any work. We learn how to get the gospel without giving any repentance. We learn how not to obey and that we learn how to have the salvation. And I am afraid of this kind of gospel. I'm afraid of what it's doing to us, our churches, and our lives. We need repentance in our country. We need to elevate God back to being on the throne room of our life. Or none of these things that we're claiming. I don't care how you're praying for revival if you're not letting God into your spirit. I don't care about how we're praying for other things 
and the promises of God. You defeat the promises of God by not letting Him in into the very central core of your being and letting Him in into the places where Jesus says, this is the problem. If David had stayed, let me tell you this, if David had stayed in his disobedience, if David had not acknowledged his sin before God, he would have never received one more ounce of promise at that point. This is the exchange in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm preaching. Yes, I'm preaching. And I tried to do my best to give you the grace along the way. But I'm going to tell you, this is where the rubber meets the road. If you want grace in your life, you've got to let it bring you to a place of surrender in every area. Did I say some areas? No, I said every area. And you know what? I'm on assignment this week for myself. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because even though I've been a man that's been customarily praying, I feel like there's a higher call. And I haven't been meeting it. And I know I haven't. And I feel as we get together for prayer this morning, I felt it in some of the things I said prior to our service. And there's just things that I just feel this God constantly saying, James, do you understand? There's a high call of God. You can't let life just be normal, so to speak. Rush into the kingdom of God and just experience me and know me. Some of you, all you have to do is you're like, I need the place of prayer, then get there. That's all I can say. Find time. Quit making excuses. There's no money on earth. There's no bill that's paid that's going to amount to time spent with God. You will always find another reason not to do it if you don't do it now. And I'm crying out because I realize, you see these empty seats. It's because people were meant to be there. Jesus said, I leave the 90 and 9. He says, I walk out of this place and I go find the one lost sheep. This doesn't mean that He doesn't care about you. Of course He does. He loves you, but He leaves the 90 and 9 and goes and finds that one lost sheep. That means there is somebody meant to sit in these seats that's lost right now that's destined to go to hell unless you testify, unless you share the Gospel with them, unless you become the product of the living God. There will never be another soul left in this place. And this isn't about a mean ministry. It's about Jesus dying for it. And so when it's all said and done, that's the grief of our souls. It ought to be. I'm speaking to the grief of many of you in this place. You feel it. You feel the longing of it. You feel the tie of it. And you're like, preacher, preach it. Say it. That's what I feel. That's what I've been longing for. I've been burning for that in my heart. I'm tired of hearing watered-down messages. I want to hear the truth. I want to hear the truth. This is the eternal weight. Jesus says, I mean, if you really get down to it, right? Man, I got to preaching, didn't I? And it's, it's not like, hey, hey, it's not that the preacher's got it any better than anybody else. I want it justice for me. Sometimes I feel like, Lord, I'm afraid if I preach it the way I need it, that you'll make you guys mad. You know, you'll be like, I'm done with that. And be like, but I need this. I need the reminder because there's that compromise in me. That compromise is so, you think it's subtle? It's not subtle. It's just so, the indifference is so much so knowledgeable. Just go to Facebook and you'll see. Go to your Facebook page and tell me that you don't spend more time on Facebook than you do in your prayer closet. Tell me you don't watch TV more than that. And I'm like, I got people that tell me I don't have the ability to do this or that. I don't give a care. Get on your knees, folks. You have the power to do that. If you have any physical capability to do one thing, I know it's this. You can pray. And man, we need it. We need people calling out to God and saying, Lord, this is a serious problem here. And this nation is caving, not because of COVID, not because of our political agendas, not because of our president that's, that's blind to everything and is practically a problem himself. But the real problem exists right with our preachers and our churches. 
It ministers right here. It exists with me, Lord, because I live day on day and I'm happy to read my Bible in a formality, but I don't want any deeper relationship than that. I've let days and years go on by and I'm still just lukewarm. I'm lukewarm and I know I'm lukewarm. And you've got to call it out sometimes. You've got to see where am I at. Like, well, but i got a lot of other things going on. But make sure lukewarmness is not a part of them. Stay faithful. Be faithful to the Lord. And that is your encouragement. Get back on track and walk with the Lord and grow in this day. You can grow in this time and let the Lord have His way. Man, I just want to just pray for that. That is my, uh, that's my exhortation today. Please forgive me if that felt like I was being too mean to you. But believe me, I mean it for me. I mean it for me. Amen? Well, I'm here in hallelujah, so that's good. That's good. I got to thank you, brother. Amen. We're on it then. Good. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you right now. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the God who's king. You are Lord. You are Lord. And we're missing this oftentimes. And I just want to say, Jesus, I don't think this church is going to miss it. I don't think the people in this place are going to miss, not even me. We're going to walk together and we're going to let you be king. We're going to let you be the Lord that you are simply because we're going to get out of your way. We're going to not make excuses for things that are presently a problem or will be in the future. And we're just going to say, Jesus, have rule over everything. God, we're going to name you King and Savior. Lord, we're grateful that you saved us from the problem and you're going to continue to make us a part of the solution. Lord God, thank you today, Lord, that we get to be in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we get to come to this altar and we get to say, Lord, here am I. Lord, forgive me. Lord, let me be a part of your solution now. Lord, let all the things of the past be in the past and give me the new present, the new future, whatever that is. And Jesus, I thank you that every day, every day that we live and breathe is an opportunity for a new future. It's a new battle to be won. And that's today, right now. That is in this place. I want to encourage you to come up front. If you sense the Lord moving on your spirit, just come up front. Let the Lord in in this moment. And then if you're not, just pray for those who are right now. Pray for those who are. But we just want to encourage you to come. Let the Lord in in this moment. Father, for those, Lord, who are responding to you in this time, Lord, however they're responding, just let them have this moment, Jesus, in your presence. God, I pray for the cure, the blessing, the overflow of God in this place. The presence of the Lord is here. I feel his presence here. I feel him ready to restore. Folks, please just re- just respond to him in one way or another. Just respond to him. He doesn't want any of us to miss this opportunity. This is a new moment for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, have your way. Praise you, Jesus. Um, Isaac's going to play something for you as we have this altar call. And I just want you to know.